All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Mark. The listener's commentary is a listener-funded Bible teaching effort made possible by a team of generous supporters. And the reason for that is because we want to make it as widely available as possible. And so we have chosen to give it away in this fashion. And so thanks a ton to those of you who make the listener's commentary possible. All right, in this recording, we are going to be looking at Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And it's important to keep the overall context of Mark's gospel in mind. Mark's gospel has two big chunks, 1 through 8 and 9 through 16. And in Mark 1 through 8, Mark is, through storytelling, really raising the question, who is Jesus? And in the immediate sequence of stories, Mark has shown Jesus performing extraordinary miracles. He's controlling the wind and the waves, something that his disciples assumed only God could do. He just freed a man from a legion of demons, demons who panicked in fear when they saw him and referred to him as the son of the most high God. Well, here in Mark 5, 21 through 43, We get two more such miracle stories, and Mark weaves them together because they happened at the same time on the same day. Here's how the story unfolds. Verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side. Recall the preceding episode. Jesus had sailed across the Sea of Galilee to the eastern side of the lake, to the region of the Decapolis. There he met the man with the legion of demons, freed him from that. The people begged him to leave. He gets back in the boat and he sails back across the sea. That's where this picks up. So he now has sailed back across the sea to the other side, to the Jewish side of the lake again, and a large crowd gathered around him, and he stayed by the seashore. Now, we don't know exactly where he is at. In fact, no town is ever specifically mentioned, but he's back on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, on the Jewish side of the lake. And so there he is, outside of some town, near the seashore, teaching the people. We have crowds of people around him, and a particular man from the nearby town, whatever town it is, comes to him in verse 22. And look what happens. Verse 22 says, And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came. So Jesus is out by the sea, outside of some unspecified town, when the synagogue leader named Jairus comes to him. A synagogue leader oversees the synagogue. He makes sure that the facilities are maintained. He organizes the worship services. It was really a high position and a high honor to have the status of being the synagogue leader. So though we see uh, religious leaders frequently opposed to Jesus, here we actually, in this story, are going to see a high-ranking religious leader, Jairus, who has confidence and faith in Jesus as this story unfolds. I think it's important to point that out so that we don't get the impression All the religious leaders are bad, or all the religious leaders are faithless. All the religious leaders are opposed to Jesus. Here's one that comes to Jesus, and he shows some faith in Jesus. And so Jairus comes to Jesus out by the sea, and upon seeing him, fell at his feet and pleaded with him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she may get well and live. And Jesus went off with him, and a large crowd was following him 
and pressing in on him. And so Jairus comes, his daughter is in a desperate situation. She's like sick to the point of death. She's super, super sick. It doesn't look good. And Jairus has some faith in Jesus. Look what he says. Come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. He's got confidence that Jesus, he's heard enough stories. He's seen enough, whatever it is. At this point, he's like, I believe that you can make her all better if you'll just come and lay your hands on her. And Jesus does, verse 24. Jesus goes with him. And as he's traveling from the seashore into town and then making their way through town, there's a large crowd all around him. And notice they're pressing in on him. They're bumping into him. They're jostling with each other. It's just kind of jam-packed with a huge crowd. It's right group of people bumping into each other, pressing in on him. That sets the scene for the next little snapshot. So we're going to break off what happens with Jairus and Jairus' daughter to something that happens while they're making their way to Jairus' house. Look at verse 25. Uh, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years. Literally, the phrase hemorrhage is being in a flow of blood. That's literally how it reads. She has some sort of chronic bleeding issue. Probably, at least most scholars assume just by the wording of it, it's menstrual in nature. She um, has a basically a chronic menstrual bleeding. Um, and if that's the case, if that's the proper way to understand that, which makes the most sense of the language, uh, that would make her ritually unclean for 12 years. So not only does she have the physical issue of this chronic flow of blood, she would have the social issue and the social uh, difficulties that go along with being ritually unclean and not being able to, to become ritually clean to participate in the synagogue service and community life. And so this woman who had this flow of blood for 12 years and verse 26 and had endured much... <laughs> at the hand of many physicians. And so she's tried doctor after doctor and she's endured a lot at their hands, right? They've, they've tried all sorts of different remedies and diagnoses and prescriptions. She's endured much at the hands of many different doctors and she spent all that she had so she's got the bleeding issue, probably the social issue and the ritual cleanness issue that goes along with it. Um, she's put up with a lot of the hands of many doctors, tried all sorts of different things. Um, it cost her a ton. In fact, it cost her everything she had. Now she's completely broke and impoverished and was not helped at all, but instead had become worse. This is how desperate her situation is. Just like... Uh, with the disciples in, in the storm, right? Like they're afraid they're going to perish. The, the storm is terrible. Waves are breaking over. The it's a desperate situation. Just like the man who had a legion of demons and was breaking chains and no one could subdue him and he's cutting himself and shrieking in the tombs, right? Desperate situation. Well, here's a woman who's in a desperate situation. Um, this has gone on for 12 years. She spent all that she had. Now she's impoverished and uh, socially she's in a difficult situation, religiously in a difficult situation. Her situation has not gotten better. In fact, it's gotten worse. But she's heard the stories about Jesus. And now here comes Jesus into her town 
And so, verse 27, after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. There's all these people, you know, like jostling and bumping into each other. They're trying to make their way to Jairus's house, right? This woman somehow works her way through the crowd and reaches out and intentionally touches his cloak. And she does it intentionally and she does it in faith because as verse 28 says, for she had been saying to herself, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. We've already seen in Mark chapter 3 verse 10 uh, how people were touching Jesus and being healed. And in the next chapter, Mark chapter 6 verse 56, it says, all who touched him were healed. Well, this lady is coming with that kind of confidence. She's coming to say, if I can just touch the fringe of his garment, I will get well. This confidence stems from the story she's heard about Jesus. After hearing about Jesus, she's heard stories of people being healed. She's heard stories about his authority and power that's been uh, circulating all around the towns and the villages of Galilee. It may also be associated with maybe things of hearing those stories and putting it together with people saying he might be the Messiah and maybe then taking some Old Testament passages about when the Messiah comes, how he's going to heal. Uh, maybe even passages like that in Malachi about there being healing in his wings or perhaps fringes of his garment. Who knows exactly how she put it all together, but it's those kinds of ideas and those kinds of stories that she's coming with. And so she comes with faith, with confidence in Jesus. She reaches out and in the midst of the crowd, she just gets close enough that she can touch the hem of his garment. And verse 29 says, Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately she's healed. The, the bleeding stops, and she can tell it's better. What no amount of money had been able to do, and what no doctor had been able to do, Jesus did simply by her reaching out in confidence and faith and touching the fringe of his garment. Well, Jesus knows something has happened. Look at verse 30. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power from him had gone out, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Not just generally, but like with a specific purpose. And somehow, we don't know how. Somehow Jesus could sense, he could tell that healing power had gone out of him. Since I've never healed anyone, I have no idea what it feels like to heal somebody. But presumably Jesus knew what that was like. He could sense that and he knew that that had happened in some sort of way. And so he turns around with all these people around him and he said, who touched my garments? He doesn't want this healing to have happened anonymously. He wants to acknowledge this person. He wants to make sure there's a face-to-face -face connection with this person. That's the reason he asked the question. The healing is intended to lead to relationship, relational faith, to discipleship to Jesus. And so her getting healed without him acknowledging her and her acknowledging him is not the way it's really supposed to work. And so Jesus wants to acknowledge who this person is. And so he asks, who touched my garments? Well, the disciples are like, Jesus, you're crazy. Look at all these people. Verse 31, his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? Like, 
People are bumping into everybody as we're trying to get through this town and get to Jairus' house. But it wasn't just someone bumping into him. This was a reaching out in faith, and Jesus could perceive it in himself. And so he looked around, verse 32, to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came up and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And notice her response. She comes to him fearing and trembling. This has been a theme through these extraordinary miracles. The disciples, after Jesus calmed the storm, were afraid with a mega fear. Uh, the townspeople and the people from the countryside were afraid when they saw the man sitting there in his right mind and clothed around Jesus. Well, here, this woman comes up to Jesus fearing and trembling like there's the sense of fear and awe and respect. And she falls down before Jesus and she says, here's what happened. She tells him the whole story, tells him the whole truth. She had hoped to be anonymous, but Jesus wants to make sure she's acknowledged and that she acknowledges him. And so how can she be fully restored without this, right? Like how can she be fully connected to him without this acknowledgement of each other? How can she be fully restored to the community without this, right? Like, and her reaction, this trembling and fearing speaks of her awe and her amazement at what has happened to her and at Jesus and his power. And after hearing her story, here's how Jesus responds in verse 34. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be cured of your disease. Now, she was already cured, but this is an acknowledgement of what has happened. And it's an acknowledgement that he's the one that did it. And it's an acknowledgement of his power and his healing power and her faith in him. This is central. And this is super important. Also, what's fascinating here is this is the only place in the gospel where Jesus addresses someone with the term of affection or the term of endearment, daughter. Notice he acknowledges her. She has experienced 12 years of most likely social drama and social distancing uh, and ritual uncleanness and like her Community life has been broken for the last 12 years, and Jesus says to her, daughter, welcoming her back into the family of God's people. Uh, this is her restoration to the community, to the family of God. And so now she can go in peace. That is, she can go in shalom, in wholeness, and in blessedness that comes with her restoration. And so your faith, he says, has made you well. Your faith literally has saved you, saved you from this disease. And if you'll keep trusting me, it'll save you in a full sense. And so she can go in shalom. She can go in peace because she's been restored. Now, remember where Jesus is heading in the midst of all this. This is an interruption. He's on his way with Jairus to go to Jairus's house because Jairus's daughter is uh, on the verge of death. She's sick to the point of death. That's where the story started. He got interrupted by this moment here with this woman who desperately needed his help. Well, the crowd is still around him and Jairus' daughter still needs his help. But here's what happens. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, so while he's acknowledging the woman, people came from the house of the synagogue official, from Jairus' house saying, your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher further? In other words, they conclude, all hope is lost. And so Jesus heals this woman who's in a desperate situation. While he's on his way to Jairus' house, 
On the way, Jairus' daughter dies. Some people come out to Jesus and the crowd from Jairus' house and say to Jairus, your daughter's dead. And they conclude all hope is lost. But, verse 36, but Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken. So they're addressing this to Jairus and conclude there's no reason to bother Jesus anymore. Jesus overhears it. And Jesus said to the synagogue official, don't be afraid, only believe. Notice that phrase, only believe. Well, Jesus just praised the woman's faith. Your faith has saved you. Uh, So now he calls Jairus, the synagogue leader, to believe. Now, the interesting thing is, is Jairus does believe. He believes in God. He's a synagogue leader, after all. He has some measure of faith in Jesus. That's why he came to him. But this is a very specific faith. It's not general faith in God himself or even that Jesus could heal. This is, if you believe that I can do this, your daughter will live. This is belief in Jesus and his power even over death. So here's how the story unfolds. Verse 37, and he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. One of the questions is, is, does that mean that Jesus told the crowd, go no further, you stay here, we're going to go on, right? Luke makes it sound like in his account of this, that the crowd traveled to at least the outskirts of Jairus's house, and only Peter, James, and John went into the house with Jairus and the girl's mom. It's not totally clear how this all played out, but my guess is when this happens, they're close to Jairus's house. The towns were usually quite small, and so they're probably close to his house. And so Jesus essentially says, you guys stay put, we're going to go in. And so they go into the courtyard of Jairus's house. And here's what they see. Verse 38, they came to the house of the synagogue official and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. So this is the courtyard around the house. And there's a crowd of mourners who have gathered, loud wails of mourning, loud wails of weeping. Some of them are likely professional mourners in town. This was just a part of their culture and their custom. In fact, the Mishnah even said that even the poorest hired no less than two flutes and one wailing woman for a funeral. Whether we're at that stage or not, the death has just happened, who knows? But there is a crowd of people making a commotion, loudly weeping and wailing. So we've got um, loud, traditional Middle Eastern mourning happening in the courtyard of Jairus' house. Verse 39, and after entering, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child hasn't died, but is asleep. So you got these mourners there in the courtyard. They're wailing, they're weeping, all the sounds of mourning over the death of a a loved one. And Jesus is like, why are you making such a racket? Why are you making such a commotion? She's not dead. She's just asleep. And they began laughing at him. Why? Because people know the difference between someone sleeping and someone dead. They knew she was dead. That's why they were there. That's why they were mourning. But here's what happened. Putting them all outside. In other words, moving them out of the house, moving them away from the courtyard. He told the mourners to leave out of the courtyard area. He took along the child's father and mother and his own companions. So the the girl's mom, Jairus, 
Peter, James, and John, and Jesus entered into the house where the child was in bed. And taking the child by the hand, notice that, he reaches out and he grabs her hand. That's fascinating. Why? Because touching a dead body was supposed to make you ritually unclean. We've already seen this with Jesus, where things that were supposed to make you ritually unclean, Jesus goes against that, touches the person. Well, here he touches the corpse. And instead of him becoming unclean, he reverses the course of their situation. That's how much purity and power he has within himself. So he reaches out, he takes the girl by her hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Notice, just like with the wind and the waves, just like with the legion of demons, there's no prayer, there's no incantation, there's just the, the voice of command from the authority and the power of Jesus. He simply speaks to this little girl who is dead, Talitha Kum, get up. And again, he speaks to her with affection. He says, Talitha, which literally means lamb in Aramaic, but it was a common like term of affection for little children. And so Mark translates it that way for us. Little girl is his translation of Talitha. It literally means lamb, but it was sort of like a pet name, a term of endearment or affection for little children. And so Jesus speaks in this uh, this kind of intimate, caring sort of way for this little girl and says, Talitha kum, get up. And what happens? Well, look at verse 42. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk for she was 12 years old. And so this is a 12-year-old girl. She's approaching the time when she's going to get married. She's beloved by her parents. And immediately at the sound of Jesus' command, she gets up and began to walk around. And he gave them strict orders to tell no one about this, right? The ex exact opposite of what happened on the Gentile side of the lake. Don't tell anybody. Word can't get out about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. She needs her energy back. And so feed her, give her something to eat so that she can regain her energy. Now, before we leave this little section, just a couple reflections from this amazing compilation of stories here. The first is Jesus' compassion, an older woman, and then a young girl and a father. And Jesus cares for all of them. He's moved by the father's request to go help his 12-year-old girl. On the way, he's interrupted by an older woman who has uh, suffered miserably for 12 years. And he helps both of them. He's the one that saves both of them. And he encourages us to have faith that he can and do that for us, his compassion. I also see here Jesus' power. Uh, this whole section of these four extraordinary miracles, the calming of the storm, the legion of demons, and then these two in this story, this whole section has demonstrated Jesus' extraordinary power. The wind and the waves submit to his command. A legion of demon begs for mercy from him. A woman whom no one can help, and even uh, death itself, all of that is under the authority of Jesus, and Jesus has power over all of that. That's how great his power is. And then, finally, the importance of faith. 
the woman believed that she would be healed. And so she made her way through the crowd, even in her uh, her little bit of like shame. She had enough courage and confidence just to get there and touch the hem of his garment. And she was healed. And then Jesus told Jairus to believe. And in fact, as you look through the other stories, Jesus says in the wind and the waves, don't you have any faith? Right? Don't you have any faith? Like, there's this importance of faith in all of these stories that says, do we really believe in Jesus? Do we have the kind of confidence as this woman, that if I can just touch his garment, do we have the kind of confidence in Jairus that says, I know you can make my daughter well. Are we willing to continue going with Jesus even when the situation is more desperate than we thought and watch Jesus raise his daughter to life? Like, faith and the importance of trusting Jesus and putting our confidence in Jesus, knowing that ultimately he has authority over all things.